When my wife was, she was about six months pregnant with our son one night, we were uh, watching television, and she sat up and just said, um, I need a cheeseburger. Like, I need it, like, right now. And me being a younger man then, I was like, sure, that sounds great. Nine o'clock at night, let's go to Five Guys. So we hop in the car, he'll get a cheeseburger, right? Well, now guess what that kid's favorite food is? Cheeseburgers. Isn't that crazy? Even when they're being formed, their little isms are there. When um, she was pregnant with our daughter one night, six months in or roughly, she said, I need some fruit, I need some cantaloupe, I need some honeydew, I need some grapes, like now. So let's go. Get a bunch of fruit, chop it up. Guess what that kid's favorite food is? Fruit. You know, and she was, I was like, well, what were they like in the womb? The, 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 the son was a bit more like, you know, like a punching bag. He's got little jabs going on. And she said the girl was more like just sort of flowy feeling. I was like, I'll take your word for it. I'll never know what that feels like. But um, I love how God has made us, men and women, um, distinct in who we are, um, but equal. And I love the story of Deborah, who's our everyday hero today, um, because she portrays an image of womanhood that not only do I want that for my daughter in the church, but I want that for every woman. Um, what we're going to see from Deborah's example in here and now in this story. Um, and, and I'm glad we're doing this because we don't get to say this enough in the church to women that you're awesome and you're valid and you're, <laughs> I think that was a good sound. You're valid, and your, 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 your giftings are just as valid as men's, and your voice is just as important, and your integrity is just as, it just matters just as much, that, that women in the church are called to lead as well as any man, if not better, in ministry to women at any church should not simply be about helping you be a better wife or a mother, although that certainly is helpful, but there are other women who are not a wife who are, who are also not a mother, and your, your presence matters too. Um, it's, we want to equip you in whatever role that you have. Um, just to, it, the goal should be to see women and men, of course, leverage who you are for the kingdom of God. And there are women throughout the Bible, of course. I mean, there's so many women leaders, Ruth, Esther, Mary. Uh, we're going to look at Deborah today. I mean, they're, they're, and then in the New Testament, Scripture shows us in Romans 16, there are women deacons that are serving, that are planning churches. Um, there are uh, Philippians 4, Paul refers to many women as fellow workers of the gospel, fe- uh, female prophets in Acts chapter 2. Acts 18, Priscilla is even said to be the tutor of one of the greatest preachers of the day, Apollos. So you see this influence um, early, early on that Jesus immediately elevates the status of women in a way that was unprecedented in the ancient world. Um, And he didn't hesitate. He never apologized for it. Even in John Wesley did the same in 1761. He commissioned many women to go preach. The first one was a lady named Sarah Crosby. He would then go on to say that the subjugation of women and under the guise of religion is a horrid cruelty, and he's absolutely right. So if you look at Deborah, she was part of what we call the book of Judges. These aren't your typical sort of courtroom variety judges. These are a different type of that. They're really tribal leaders 
of the tribes of, of Israel, tribes of Judah. Um, so the book of Judges tells us how the people of Israel lost their faith after Joshua dies. And so in order, they don't have a king, they don't have a leader. So what happens is God essentially gives them um, judges to look over them, to keep them from worshiping idols, to keep them from um, falling astray, to bring some law and order to the people, and uh, to reconnect them to God. So these judges had to be people of, of charisma, of integrity, um, people of great influence, so some of the famous judges you maybe have heard of are people like Gideon, um, Jephthah, Samson, uh, Barak, and of course, Deborah. Now we know also that Deborah was the most, maybe the most popular name in the 1950s and 60s. Got any, got any Debbies in here? If you don't, you know one. Um, yeah, there we go. There, you know, and the word Deborah in Hebrew means bee, like the insect, a little honeybee. That's what Deborah means. Um, that we know that bees are hard workers. We know that bees are strong. Bees can sting, but they also provide sweetness. And Deborah was the only female judge in Israel's history, the bee. And she would go on to be a strong leader, a well-respected person. She would even be listed in Hebrews 12, Hall of Heroes, of people commended for their faith throughout um, history. So here are these words of Judges chapter 4 starting in verse 4. At that time, Deborah, a prophet, she's a prophet, she's a wife of Lapidoth, well, also was a judge. She's judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, and Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Yabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon from, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Her. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abednoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him from Harosheth Ha-Goim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. Wow. Wow. You know, when I think about ideas of strength, I think men and women probably have different ideas. I'm, I'm going to be painting with sort of a broad brush here, but um, typically men, you know, we're more aggressive, more physically. We show strength, bravado, machismo, chest hair, you know, all that sort of thing, aggressive. I mean, women can do that thing too. Maybe not the chest hair part, but, you know, you can do the aggressive part and all that. But I think typically, though, women's strength is it's a bit more of a quiet strength. I think women feel strong 
um, not in the way that maybe a man does. I think when they feel appreciated and valued and heard and, and listened to, um, then, you know, that's very empowering. Like the other day, I was pumping gas at Sheets, and uh, Destiny's Child song, Survivor, came on the radio, or the pump, you know, blaring at me. And I just started jamming out, I'm a survivor. You know, I was like, man, that women's empowerment anthem. You know, I was like, this is perfect timing, Lord, thanks. Every week you give me something to use in the sermon, you know. <laughs> that, that Deborah, Deborah's a survivor. I mean, to become a judge from your tribe, they essentially had to vote. She had to rise through the ranks. She had to muscle her way through all these stinky men I mean, they had lived alongside each other. These people knew each other. They, they grew up together. And Deborah, had, had, she did prove herself among all of these men that this integrity that she carried, they, they all recognized it. And she was elevated to this position of influence and power. And, and, and integrity always rises to the top. That goes for men or women. Integrity always rises to the top. Like this example, this week at Vacation Bible School, I was in charge of the station called Bible Explorers, where I put on like, you know, robes and stuff and tell Bible stories to the kids. And, and the story this week was Joseph from Genesis chapter 40, where, you know, famously he has the robe of many colors and his brothers, 11 brothers, um, sell him into slavery. They pretend to kill him. And I mean, if you think your family's dysfunctional, okay, look at Jacob's family, y'all. I mean, <laughs> they had a lot of problems. Um, Joseph eventually goes into Egypt in prison, and then he can interpret dreams really well. So he gets risen up to this place of stature in Pharaoh's court. He becomes the right-hand man of, of all of Egypt. Um, he had this quiet integrity. So Monday to Wednesday, we taught about Joseph. Thursday, we took a break and talked about Jesus and the cross and forgiveness of your sin and the empty tomb. And it was a very beautiful illustration they used for that. And then Friday, we went back to Joseph and finished up that story. And Friday, to recap, one of the questions was, okay, kids, what can you tell me about the person of Joseph? What do you remember about Joseph? And this little girl raises her hand, and she goes, they nailed him to a cross. I was like, no, not quite. But I'm glad you're thinking about Jesus, though. <laughs> but Joseph had this, 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 like Deborah, I think, this, this quiet integrity that got recognized by everyone around them, even their difficult circumstances, that people recognized there's something special about this person. There's, there's a wisdom there, an integrity there that was evident for all to see. So there's three points I'm going to make. That first is that Deborah encouraged Barak. Um, she's, in verse 9 it says, I will go with you. She didn't just tell Barak what to do. She went with him. She encouraged him by simply being with him, what we call a ministry of presence. So Deborah went with him. She didn't have to go, right? She could have delegated to some other person to go with Barak into battle. But instead, she encouraged him with her presence. She came alongside him, right? I mean, a good leadership principle is that you, you don't just tell people, but you show them. You come alongside. You don't get in front of them. You don't get behind them. You come alongside them. Deborah comes alongside Barak. She doesn't fire him and shame him for feeling afraid of this huge army that's in front of them, but she, she supports Barak 
in the way that he needed. Because um, maybe this guy is full of anxiety. He's full of fear. Uh, he's full of, of, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so here's a woman telling him to not be afraid. And she comes alongside him with her presence. Clearly this woman had a, had a lot of gravitas about her presence that would, that would bring um, the level of anxiety down. Okay, okay Deborah's here. Okay, we're, it's all going to be okay. Secondly, Deborah turned Barak's attention to God. If you look at verse 6, it says that she told him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take 10,000 with you. So she's, she's being a prophet, she's speaking for God, and she's saying, God told me, go take 10,000 men with you. And then she says in verse 14, get up, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not he gone ahead of you? And she's saying, he's already there. You're just not there yet. So why don't you go be where he is, right? He's, he's already gone ahead of you. And that's such a good reminder for our lives that whatever anxiety or worry or fear we have, he's already there, right? He's not going to be surprised. He's already gone ahead of you. About 20 years ago, I was the director at a mission camp in Franklin, North Carolina, this old Methodist camp that had a lot of plumbing problems. I'm talking like toilets backing up and septic tank stuff. And we had like 60 people staying at this place. Um, so every week there was some new thing that could go wrong, leaking the floor, mice getting into the cabinets. I mean, it was crazy. It's, it's torn, now it's been torn down, in case you're wondering. Um, but one day I get back there after a long day and, and someone comes up to me and says, hey, the toilets don't work. They're not flushing. If you've got 60 people, that's a problem. And I go, okay. So I go open the door where the water heater is and there's bread on shelves here and there's literally water shooting out of the water heater and there's about three or four inches of water on the floor already. Now, I'm not an anxious person, but I started having a mini panic attack at this point because I don't know what to do with this situation. Um, so I, get a, I pull up the yellow pages. Kids, that was something we used. Um, <laughs> when you needed stuff and you looked up phone numbers with paper and ink, and I look up this guy in Franklin's, a plumber, I'm like, please hurry, just come. I don't, just please. This guy shows up with a water heater in like two hours. Unbelievable. He pull, takes the other one out, puts the new one in. I'm like, thank you, God, this guy. Oh, what a blessing. And he's, he's soldering the copper, and he looks back over his shoulder at me, and he goes, I've never done this before, but that's what he said. I was like, well, can I do it? Because I have about the same luck as you're going to have. Um, so then at this point, I start just freaking out, and I just go away, and I start to cry in a corner, like, I can't handle this. Like, this is too much pressure. And this girl named Erin, who worked with me, she worked with this ministry called, y, called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. There's this sort of global... Um, ministry, and they're like, she's deeply devoted, prayerful kind of person, and just a, a wonderful young woman, and she just comes over to me and looks at me. It's probably like this sad sack of a man. It's just crying in the corner about a water heater and toilets, and she doesn't even say anything. She just looks at me, and she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she starts to pray, and like speaking in tongues and all this stuff, which I'm not used to, and but man, I just felt so much better. I felt the presence of God just like calm me down. And she turned my attention to God. She's basically saying, you know, God's bigger than a water heater. He's bigger than your toilet problem. It's going to work out, you know. 
and it did. And it, and it reminded, sometimes we have to have people that turn our attention back to where we need to be focused on, right? And that's what Deborah's doing to Barack here. He's freaking out. We, I don't want to die here, Deborah. We're all going to get killed. And she's saying, has not he gone ahead of you? You can do this, but don't look at me. Don't look at your problem, but look up to the hills from where your salvation comes from. Don't look at your ego. Don't look at your failures. Don't even look in the mirror, but don't even look at the size of the army. Don't look at the accusations and the hatred. Put your faith in God. Has he not gone out ahead of you already, Barack? You know, ladies, when you're faced with an impossible situation um, and you're married, turn your guy's attention toward God. Maybe he's resistant to it. Do it anyway. And guys, if you roll your eyes at it, that's your problem. Because I don't know why couples do this, but you have, we have physical intimacy, we have emotional intimacy. You can know each other in such a deep way, but so many couples leave out the spiritual side of your relationship. And I think that's a huge disservice. Don't do that. Pray together. Um, and when you're faced with an obstacle, pray together. It takes character and humility to receive admonishment like that. It's not, it might hurt your pride a little bit, but it's always the right move to make, right? And that's what's happening here with Barack. He, he goes, okay, yeah, you're right, Deborah. I will, I will go. So she, she encouraged him. She turned his attention toward God, and she also led by example. Check this out in verse 7. She says, first person, I will draw out, says Sarah. <laughs> She's like, I will do it. I will dodge the arrows, okay? I will get their attention so that you can come along the flank and attack them and give them into your hand. I mean, y'all, that's not just strong. That's like, that's like country girl strong. That's like mountain girl. If there was a southern Bible, it'd be, they, this text would say, hey, y'all, watch this, okay? I wouldn't say hold my beer, but you know what I mean. Hey, y'all, watch this. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I will lead them into your hands. Get out of my way, Barack. I'll take care of it. I'm not going to be weak and permissive. I won't wait for someone else to do it. I will take the initiative and you can follow me. Leaders lead. And if you're in any position of influence in your life, whatever it is, you're a leader. If you influence anything, you're a leader. And leaders lead. And that's what Deborah does here. She leads by example. And because she did that, they had victory in the battle. And she didn't wait for someone else to fix her problem. All these stories about Deborah, they remind me of the mother of John Wesley, Susanna Wesley. Maybe you don't know a lot about her. If you're in our sanctuary and you're looking at the altar table um, in that beautiful stained glass, of course, we have in there, there's a bunch of wood carvings, and it's very ornate, and there are some initials there, and it says JWSW, right? It's John Wesley, Susanna Wesley. Now, I've, I can say pr pretty for certain, I don't think John would want his, names, his name initialed in the wall of a church, but the reason they, we did that, they probably did that, is because Susanna is essentially the, the spiritual mother of the Methodist church. Without her, I don't think we'd be here. Let me tell you why. Susanna endured a very difficult marriage. She was married to a penniless preacher 
who got put in prison twice. Their home was burned down twice. Tragically, nine of her 19 children, nine of them died in infancy. Somehow, Suzanne raised the remaining 10 pretty much by herself, regarding her motherhood as a vocation from God, as she would say. Now, this is really funny. She had no privacy at home, of course, with 10 children, I cannot imagine, in some little house with 10 children. So when she wanted to pray, she would take her apron and put it over her head. And so the kids quickly found out when mama's got the apron over her head, don't mess with her. She's busy. And no doubt, while Suzanne has the, Susanna has the apron over her head, she, I'm sure, was mourning her lost babies probably interceding for her infuriating husband and uh, no doubt praying for her children by name. She would then go on to homeschool each of her children six hours a day, teaching her seven daughters and three sons the exact same lessons. They were fluent in Hebrew and Greek by the time they were like 15 years old. (laughs) No pressure on us. (laughs) And then she would give an exclusive hour a week, one-on-one with each child. She would later explain, I look upon every soul under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. Then when her husband, the rector or pastor of Epworth Church, was imprisoned again for financial mismanagement and his replacement failed miserably to preach the gospel from the pulpit, she took matters into her own hands like Deborah. She started her own Sunday school class in the church kitchen. (laughs) And over time, it attracted so many people, they had to move it to the barn. And then in the barn, it attracted over 200 people each Sunday. I'm not sure how the pastor felt about that. But they would come and sit in a barn and listen to Susanna read her weekly sermon. She was a world-class leader, a housewife, with a hard life from a small town in rural England. And through her life, we have over 80 million Methodists in 130 countries today. Simply saying to her, like Deborah, I'm going to control what only I can control. And that's, that's a struggle today in our culture because we're so overwhelmed and we're so focused on all these things that we can't control. We're getting news all the time of stuff we can't control. Here, I can, I, these kids are in my charge, or my, for it's you, maybe it's your job, or all sorts of things. What you can control, how can you leverage it for the kingdom? I did this at, on Father's Day, and I want to do it today, because Mother's Day is a long way away, and I don't want to wait till then, um, to pray over all the ladies in the room, uh, any age. Uh, and if you're comfortable, would you just please stand? We're just, I'm just going to pray for you. Come on, stand up if you want to. And if you're around them, and if you're the husband or the son or whatever, and you want to put a hand on them or a friend, please, please do so um, to pray over you. Um, and I'm going to use an amended version of one of Susanna's prayers over you. Lord Jesus, thank you for these women. Help them to remember that their religion is not to be confined to the church or exercised only in prayer, but that everywhere they are in your presence, which is everywhere. Holy Spirit, we pray that every action and word they have 
may afford them to an opportunity to exercise virtue and grow toward your likeness. Lord, we pray over each of them that they would be reminded that their voice matters. Their heart to you matters more than any. That their gifting matters. I pray the peace of God upon every single life here. I pray for the young women in the room. You give them wisdom in a confusing culture that's pulling them in every direction. I pray that they would stay close to you, God. They'd stay close to you every day. I pray for the wives and the mothers and the grandmothers in the room. I pray you give them wisdom, continually words of grace to pour forth from their mouths that that they would lead with authority that they would leave from a place of strength that you provide, birthing with up from within them. And that they would not have a spirit of shrinking back, but that they would stand and rise and say, this is my charge. I can control for your glory, God. Bless them and anoint them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.